you might like to take them out and follow along. We're reading from John chapter 10 through to verse 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, Is he demon-possessed and raving mad? Why listen to him? But others said, These are not sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Two very brief announcements. Uh, next Sunday, the family and I won't be here, but you'll be ably led by Pastor Terry. The following Sunday, Sunday the 12th of March, we have our annual church family meeting and our church family meeting. And part of that is, involves the nomination of uh, the diaconate. Now, the diaconate here are being proactive in uh, approaching and seeking people who are suitable for roles, uh, but we want to involve you in that process. So if there is someone who you know is a church member who you think might be suitable for leadership, 
We may have already approached that person. Um, so what I'm going to suggest is please come and talk to either myself or the diaconate. Let us know that person's name and we'll take it under consideration whether or not we approach that person. We may have already done so. So if you could um, assist us in that way, we'd be very appreciative. Why don't we just take a moment now and uh, pause and pray before we take a look at John 10. Heavenly Father, we just come now and recognise the sacredness of this moment, moment when we open up your word and expect that it will speak into our hearts and our lives. May it do so. And may you open us to receive what you would have for us this morning, each one. We thank you that your word is living and active and alive and continues to speak and continues to lead and guide, continues to convict uh, people today. So we just welcome your presence here now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new and joining us for the first time this morning, we're in the middle of a series looking at the eight I am statements of Jesus. Throughout John's Gospel, there are eight times where Jesus makes this claim, I am, uh, and then follows it up with a metaphor. We talked about Jesus being the bread of life. We talked two Sundays ago about Jesus being the light of the world. And last Sunday, Pastor Terry uh, concentrated on the words Jesus spoke when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, two Sundays ago, we considered the statement, I am the light of the world. And there's this lengthy discourse in chapter 9 where Jesus heals a man who had been born blind. And uh, there's this interesting conversation with the Pharisees who have physical sight uh, but spiritually are blind. And there was a man who didn't have physical sight but could spiritually see, and the Lord healed him of both his physical and his spiritual ailment, and he was able to have sight both physically and spiritually. It's very important that we have that story in mind when we come to John chapter 10, because that whole chapter was chapter 9, and John chapter 10 actually follows on from the incident in John chapter 9. There is no new audience that is assumed. And in verse 21 of John chapter 10, reference is made to the man who had been born blind. And when Jesus is talking about false shepherds in John chapter 10, it is likely that he is making reference of the Pharisees who booted the blind man out of the temple. In order to really grasp the significance of what Jesus is saying in John 10 when he says, I am the good shepherd, it is important that we understand the big picture, the big uh, biblical theme of shepherd. Because the ancient Near East was primarily an agricultural society. The shepherding image or theme was very common, and people immediately associated various things with it. They knew what it meant. They understood it. And in fact, it was a theme that was used in all kinds of literature and teachings, not just biblical ones. 
The Old Testament uses the image of shepherd to indicate God's level of care for his people Israel. Psalm 23, which is in your weekly view today to reference during today's message, is probably the best known passages of scripture that talks about shepherding and sheep. And it is a beautiful poem or a beautiful image of God's tender loving care for those who are his sheep. However, the shepherd theme finds its origin all the way back in the very beginning of scripture in the book of Genesis. The patriarch Jacob was a shepherd and the first person in the Bible to refer to God as a shepherd, as a, in a metaphoric sense. As he was laying down, he looked back over his life and summed it up with these words. God has been the shepherd of my life to this day. Isaiah recognized the Lord as shepherd. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The prophet Jeremiah saw Israel as a flock of lost sheep that needed a good shepherd. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. But I will bring Israel back to his own pasture and he will graze on Carmel and Bashan. His appetite will be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and Gilead. Ezekiel announced the birth of the good shepherd long before he was born. He said that when he came, he would tend God's flock with tender, loving care. It is evident that Jesus very clearly had this particular text in mind when he spoke his words in John 10. My sheep wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now, as common as the term or the theme shepherd is in the Bible... It's not an occupation we are overly familiar with. So in the context of Scripture, what does a shepherd actually do? The shepherd's job was to take the family's flock of sheep out in search of food. This would mean long journeys with the sheep. It meant living with the sheep, both night and day. It meant guarding them from predators. It meant finding suitable pastures for them to graze and enough water for them to drink. 
Being a shepherd meant constantly thinking about the needs of your sheep, just as a parent constantly has to think of the needs of their child. So too, a shepherd was thinking about the needs of his sheep. The mark of a good shepherd is that he knows his sheep. In fact, most ancient shepherds, we are told, knew their sheep by name. They were acquainted with all of their ways, their abnormalities, their characteristic marks, their tendencies, perhaps their unique habits. Throughout the day, each shepherd stayed close to his sheep, watching them carefully and protecting them from the slightest harm. When one sheep strayed, the shepherd searched for it until it was found. Then he laid it across his shoulders and brought it back home, a beautiful image that we may be familiar with. At the end of the day, each shepherd led his flock to the safety of the fold and slept across the gate to protect them. A good shepherd never left his sheep alone. They would be lost without him. His presence was their assurance. They would never follow the wrong shepherd. Just as a dog will respond to the call of its owner, so too the sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd and would rise to his call. In John 10, Jesus identifies himself with the shepherd of the Old Testament by claiming that I am the good shepherd. Now, to the Jewish person, this meant only one thing. It meant God, Yahweh. There was only one good. There was only one shepherd. And there was only one who had the right to the title the good shepherd. Can you imagine? Here is someone they knew, someone who was brought up against them, claiming the title of God. In this very claim, Jesus was asserting his full and absolute deity to identify himself as the one that they knew as the good shepherd. Jesus says he is the good shepherd, and unlike the hired hand who in the face of danger cuts loose and runs, the hired hand has no personal or vested interest in the sheep. That person cares only for their own safety and protection. Jesus, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. He is profoundly committed to the safety and the protection of his flock. So much so that if danger were to stand in their way, he will go so far as to lay down his own life for them. In fact, Paul will later go on to expound this in Ephesians where he wrote, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless now in addition to saying i am the good shepherd jesus also said in verse 7 very truly i tell you i am the gate for the sheep 
When you consider the type of sheepfold Jesus would have had in mind when making this claim, you can see that he is not making two separate statements. But in fact, in ancient times, the shepherd was the gate. The shepherd would, st- would sleep or stand by the gate and the only way that the sheep could enter or exit that sheepfold was through the shepherd. And by using this language, Jesus very clearly articulates that he is the exclusive means of entry into the flock. Only those who enter through him will enjoy the level of care that he, as shepherd, can provide. By entering through the gate of Jesus and being shepherded by him, will we enjoy the provision of his comprehensive love and care. Now, the world tells us that to achieve the abundant life, to achieve abundance, it is up to us. We have the power to make things happen. According to Michelle Stephen, author of The Power of Visualization, We read, everybody has wishes and desires. Sometimes, no matter how hard you work, you just never seem to get the things that you want. And what makes this so frustrating is that you see other people who are not working as hard as you and they are getting their wishes fulfilled. It is not magic. And although there are a few who have probably just been lucky enough to stumble over their heart's desires, luck is not the cause of their success. Chances are people like that are using a secret used by many. The secret we are going to share with you in this book, the secret of the law of attraction and how to use it to get the things you want. If you want a better car, a new boat, more money, a raise, a better relationship, a new relationship, a new career or better health, the law of attraction can help you. Stop wishing for things to happen and make them happen. You have the power within you, your inner energy. Based on this model, based on this way of thinking, abundance is something you can achieve. You can wish it. You can will it into your life if you're prepared to. You have to work at employing your inner energy. It's up to you. In contrast, what does it mean to have abundant life in Christ? Well, in order to grasp what Jesus might be speaking of here, it's important that we consider the context of John's gospel. We're in chapter 10 right now, and John is anticipating that his reader has heard all of the content up until this point. So even though today we're kind of diving in in chapter 10, it's really important that to understand the answer to abundant life, we get the full picture. So very briefly, in John chapter 2, Jesus turns the water into wine. And this is a picture of generous, abundant hospitality and extravagant provision. In John chapter 4, there's the incident of the woman at the well. 
and this conversation about Jesus being the living water. And the living water is this spring of life likened to the Holy Spirit. In chapters 4, 5, and 9, we have the woman at the well, a paralyzed man, and a man born blind. All three of these social outcasts in the presence of Jesus are validated and given dignity. In chapter 5, the feeding of the 5,000 is symbolic of God's provision, not only to those 5,000 on that day, but also, as we spoke several weeks ago, the provision for the Israelites in the desert, the manna that sustained them. So providence and sustenance. In chapter 8, we have the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus forgives her, and he doesn't condemn her. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 9, we have healings of the official son, the paralyzed man, and the man born blind. Uh, And then in chapter 9, he opens the man's eyes. So the abundant life in Jesus is a life of hospitality and generosity. It is a life where sins are forgiven, where there is no condemnation. It is a life where there is providence, where you are validated and given dignity. It is a life where there is healing, where you are given sight. This is the abundant life. If we then go to the 23rd Psalm, we will see other evidence of what it means to be in the care of the shepherd and what an abundant life in Jesus looks like. The 23rd Psalm speaks of provision of needs, rest and peace, strength and guidance, protection, honour, and blessing, and this beautiful image of God's love pursuing or following you all the days of your life. There is no question about it. Life lived under the care of the great I am is a life that is richly satisfying and deeply fulfilling. This is the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. This is the life that is experienced under the shepherding of the great I am. Is he your shepherd? The best part about all of this is that unlike the abundance mentality of the world where it's all about me and my inner energy and my capacity to will good into my life, the abundant life that Jesus offers is all provided by him, through him, everything he has done. We are the unworthy recipients of his amazing grace. What is our role in all of this? Well, the answer is found in verses 3 and 4. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Our role is to listen to the voice of our shepherd, to hear that voice, 
to follow and obey. Is that not what we have witnessed here this morning? A beautiful little girl who has read the scriptures, who has had the scriptures read to her, and who has decided to follow Jesus. There's something in that for all of us to consider. One of the things that makes it difficult to hear the voice of our shepherd, our saviour, is that there are so many voices in this world competing for yours and my attention. Are there not? There is so much noise. There are so many voices to join this club, to go on this diet, to have this item, to wear these clothes, to drive this car, to go on this holiday, to own this home. And I have to confess that I listen to these voices. And in my weaker moments, I get sucked into their subliminal message. Don't we all? In my stronger moments, I resist and I listen to a different voice and I draw strength from my faith. In all honesty, I find all of the competing voices exhausting. (laughs) In striking contrast, Here is what the voice of our shepherd says to us. In the midst of all the noise, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is the voice I want to hear. Is this the voice you long to hear? This is the voice we need to listen to. This is the voice that cares so deeply for our well-being. This is the voice who knows what the human soul longs for and yearns for and desires. And this is the voice that can provide everything that our souls need. Do you long to hear the voice of one who cares so deeply for you? Let me ask you again, Is Jesus your shepherd? Is your trust in the great I am? Today, Jesus says to you, I am the good shepherd. How will you respond? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just think of that beautiful image of you as a shepherd 
who knows so intimately each and every sheep. You know, Lord, our habits. You know our desires. You know the unique things that we struggle with. You know our full story. Every minute detail of our lives, you know. And you approach us with open arms and a desire to offer each one who will submit to your care a fulfilled, full, abundant life. Would you come and be our shepherd? And I pray, Father, for each heart and each soul who is here today, that their response in their heart of hearts would be, yes, Lord Jesus, be my shepherd. Lead me, guide me, protect me. Fulfill the needs of my heart and my soul. Thank you, Lord, that you honour and you answer these prayers of faith and these prayers of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.